0: Thank you. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Mythgard Academy. So, this is session number eight on "The Moon is a Harsh Mistress" by Robert Heinlein. Um, before we uh, get going uh, here tonight, just one quick announcement. Um, I announced the dates of both New England moot and middle moot last time, Uh, and I wanted to just remind you of those, but also tell you that the registration links are now open. So both the registration links and the call for papers uh, are open on those, I believe. I think on both. I know they're both on New England moot, uh, and I think at least registration is there on both. I think the call for papers is there on middle moot, too. But anyway... New things posted on the page that are relevant and important. Uh, So again, New England Moot is September 25th in Durham, New Hampshire, and Middlemoot is on October 9th in Waterloo, Iowa. Looking forward to seeing folks in both places. So go to signumuniversity.org events, and you can see the events pages for both of those things, or just go to our webpage and scroll down a bit until you get to the events part, uh, and then you can see each event thing with its own little panel there, uh, that you can click through and see New England moot and middle moot both coming up. Very exciting. Uh, uh, text moot is getting itself sorted out also, uh, for early, uh, February. Uh, so, uh, looking forward to that too. Talking about bay moot in early November is, is what we're looking at there. Maybe we'll have a date. We can confirm for that sometime soon. So that will be really exciting also. Uh, so glad to be getting regional moots going again and hoping we'll be permitted to continue doing regional events. Of course we'll be flexible if we have to be flexible, but don't forget that all of our regional moots are going to be hybrid moots this year. Um, So it is possible for you to register for them. Even if you are nowhere near Durham, New Hampshire or Waterloo, Iowa, if you are, I hope to be able to see you. Um, But if you either are uncomfortable attending in person, or if you are somewhere further, an inconvenient, distance uh, from either one of those places, you can still join us and participate uh, in the fun that is going to be happening that weekend, those weekends, I should say, um, through um, uh, digital stuff. We don't yet have uh, any word on SoCal moot, Uh, Jocelyn. We're looking at um, uh, January or March, Probably uh, that's, that's what we're looking at, but we haven't, uh, we haven't, we haven't firmed that one up yet uh, date wise, um, but somewhere first quarter of, of uh, 2022 is when we're hoping uh, to be out in uh, Southern California again. So that's the plan. All right. Um, well, let us go back in. So let me, and speaking of plans, uh, let me give a glimpse ahead here uh, to where we're going here. Um it is my goal to finish more or less on time. I might need one extra week than I'd originally hoped for, but that's a pre- would be pretty good uh, for my track record. So, um, because so I'm going to be here next week, and then I'm going to be off for two weeks. Um, I think though I might be able to be back. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the um, what would it be the twenty fourth or the twenty fifth. I think it's the yeah twenty fifth uh, Wednesday the twenty fifth um, of um, of August. Um, so um, anyway, I'm uh, um, I might be home. For, I wasn't at, at first. I didn't think I would be home for that, but I think I might be actually home for that. Um, so um, we're here's here's hoping uh, for the best. I so I might be able to add that. Um, so yeah, so we'll see. My goal is tonight and next time to finish part two. And then uh, to do part three um, after that. And I I think I can do that and we can do that in two or three class sessions, uh, probably three. Uh, So that would spill us over a little bit into the beginning of September, but not too much. It would only uh, uh, push us back like a week um, beyond, as I say, what I was planning. So. Not bad. (laughs) We're we're sticking in the ballpark anyway here. Um, So uh, let's move on and see if we can get as far as Manny going to the ballpark. Uh, That would be good. Um, Certainly, we are going to be descending among the earthworms uh, today. And... I really am interested in the effect that Heinlein establishes here um, I think that this is just a brilliant work for world building it's very it's very different you know if you're especially if you're primarily a fantasy reader rather than a science fiction reader um, the way he establishes his world building is not Sort of very common. I, the way that the, the the mechanisms he uses to go about establishing um, his you know his world building of Luna fr- um, from the you know from his first person narrator's uh, perspective is I think really uh, really very interesting and very effective. And we've been talking about that especially at the beginning uh, as we were going through. To me, this sort of, you know, central part, you know, the primary part of part two when they're down on Earth is the payoff for that, right? Um, Because, of course, we talked about how we first had the experience of strangeness, right? Seeing all these things, which Manny barely explains and takes for granted, that are, you know, just the way so many different things are different on Luna, in Luna, excuse me. Um, You may remember the passage where he makes fun of the earth reporters uh for continually saying on the moon right um and he he puts quotation marks around on uh right when he quotes them um but um anyway so um we start there right but then again as i say the payoff is when we return to earth and now all these things which had we gotten them in chapter 1 would have seemed a little bit different i mean there are definitely differences uh, you know in his vision of the Earth, you know, a hundred years on, you know, it was what, 110 years later uh, than he was writing. Um, So, you know, he's, he's, he's imagining some changes having happened in Earth. And yet, you know, it's nothing like the, you know, the experience that we would have had, had we just, this been a, a book taking place on Earth, right? On the Earth that he describes, the sense of strangeness that we get would have been nothing like what we're getting now, now that we've been trained to see things through loony eyes. Right. And then we come down to earth and it seems even the things it's not the differences. It's not primarily, I think the differences from our current earth that we notice it's the differences from Luna. Right. Um, and I think he's done a really wonderful job of kind of helping us to capture the loony experience. Right. Um, as we'll talk about the passage later, I find it, I even find it jarring when um, uh, uh, Prof tells Manny to knock off the loony talk, right? And I'm like, well, how else would one talk? <laughs> right? Uh, but anyway, uh, getting back though to right before launch, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the wedding with Wyo, right? Wyo marrying into the family and stuff. Uh, there's, you know, no doubt much that could be said on this subject and, and we're um, not going to dwell on it that long. My primary interest in this is the way in which I just, things kept jumping out at me here throughout part two again and again and again, as I said last time of Manny's not just being left out of the loop, right? We saw that, but more of Manny's sort of cluelessness, right? So Greg is they have a family talk-talk, right? By the way, footnote. Manny uses the phrase talk-talk several times about this. And you remember when we were discussing the phrase talk-talk earlier on, um, several people were positing that the word talk-talk is could be basically, like, we were asking about what was the difference between a talk and a talk-talk. And, um, uh, like, uh, droning on and monotony was uh, a... a Sort of theory, right? That uh, it was designed to be a um, um, a sort of um, deprecatory name, right? Uh, for a bunch of conversation that, like, nobody, you know, like a bunch of yammerheads, right? All talking. Um, and I'm not saying, of course, that the word can't be applied in that way. But I was a little resistant, you may remember at the time, to that definition of talk talk. And this scene is why, because. Manny talks about the family meeting, right? This is a formal family meeting at which an official vote about um, about marriage, um, you know, adding to their family um, happens, and he calls it a talk talk, and he uses that phrase, as uh, you know. I do not think at all disrespectfully or deprecatingly um, if Manny uses that word to talk about. You know, these what are obviously to him very important and very meaningful, uh, formal get togethers and conversations in his family. I don't think he's just meaning a talk talk is when a bunch of Yammerheads get together. Um, so um, uh, anyway, I am. I, um, I definitely think that talk talk. Again, this scene is the one which kind of provides me with the context where I would suggest that a talk talk is like a a kind of a formal gathering. right? When people come together to like formally talk something or like to 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 discuss something together in order to come to a decision. Right. That seems to be what a talk talk is, Um, whereas other people just talking is not necessarily the same thing. Right. But if you're having like something that's going to end with a vote is a talk talk. It seems to be. Right. Um, and so the uh, the the initial rebel gathering, right, where the fight broke out and uh, he and Wyo got connected in the first place was a talk talk. Right. Because they were getting together to meet and discuss taking action. Right. Joining arm to arm and marching to the warden's house. Right. Shoulder to um, shoulder. And then, of course, the family meeting here is a talk talk Um uh, and, uh, you know, Congress has talk talks. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the loomy, the loony yammerhead Congress, uh, has talk talks as well. Um, so yeah, Ellen, it seems to be some kind of official discussions, right? Um, yeah, Stephen says, I like the idea that talk talk emphasized the two way communication aspect, right? That it's, um, it evokes the idea of like a room full of people in which many people are talking and contributing, right? So if you go to hear a lecture, for instance, that wouldn't be a talk talk. That's just a talk. (laughs) Right. That, that makes sense to me too, Steven. I can definitely, I can definitely understand that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh, where was I? Um, I was trying to think who Greg could possibly mean as Greg is saying, he's proposing somebody for marriage. True, I had been much away during past year, and if did get home, was often after everybody was asleep. But he was clearly talking about marriage, and nobody ever proposes another wedding in our marriage without first giving everybody a long, careful chance to think pro- to look prospect over. You just didn't do it any other way. So I'm stupid. Greg stuttered and said, I propose Wyoming not. I said I was stupid. I understand machinery, and machinery understands me, but didn't claim to know anything about people. When I get to be senior husband, if live that long, I'm going to do exactly what grandpa does with Mum. Let Sidrus run it. Just same. Well, look, Wyo joined Greg's church. I like Greg, love Greg, and admire him. But you could never feed theology of his church through a computer and get anything but no. Wyo surely knew this, since she encountered it in adult years. Truthfully, I had suspected that Wyo's conversion was proof that she would do anything for our cause. But Wyo had recruited Greg even earlier and had made most of trips out to new sight easier for her to get away than me or prof oh well was taken by surprise should not have been now what do we see here what do we see here let's let us, let us um let us unfold the levels of manny's obliviousness here right what so first He has no idea why they're having a family talk talk the night before he's supposed to get tossed towards the earth in a canister. Right. He has no idea why there's going to be a family talk talk. His first kind of paranoid thought is that uh, Mum is going to try the rally to rally the family to intervene and prevent his going. Right. Um, That's his first thought. But of course, that doesn't turn out to be it. And then Greg is proposing something and he doesn't know what it could possibly be. And then uh, or how this could possibly work. And then he proposes Wyo as a new wife for their family. And he says, Manny says, I was stupid. Right. So first is the level of obliviousness that he acknowledges. Right. That he himself says, like, okay, I totally should have seen that coming. Right. I totally should have seen that coming. I shouldn't be surprised because it fits. Right. Not only should he have not be surprised that Wyoming would want in. Right. I mean, goodness, Wyo joked about that literally on the first night that they met. Remember when she he was describing um, his 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 marriage and his family uh, and she was immediately started asking, kind of in fun. Right. Um, whether, uh, uh, whether they were taking on any new wives. Right. I mean, she was, she was expressing interest in his, in like, not just in, not in him, but in his family life. Right. Um, and she has been living with the family and, and has been accepted by and, um, and, and clearly a part, been a part of their family for months now. Right. Um, so, uh, should he have, uh, maybe, maybe thought of that? Um, uh Yeah. 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 Maybe he should have thought of that. Right. Um, but not only that, even if he's merely being logical. Right. As he said. Nobody ever proposes another wedding in our marriage without giving everybody a long, careful chance to look prospect over. You just didn't do it any other way. So, Manny. Just put on your thinking cap here for a second. Has there been any viable candidate who has, uh, uh, in fact, been given a, you know, has given the family a very long and very careful chance uh, to look her over? Yeah, there is somebody, right? There is an obvious candidate for this. And so, no, so he seems on the like, shocked, reluctant to believe the possibility that, you know, the way that they do things in the Davis family is being deviated from here. But yet he seems more willing to entertain that idea than to realize that, um, uh, yeah, maybe it's YO, right? But now, the next level of his obliviousness, when that's revealed, right, why, um, where does he go? Where does his mind go? When he says, I said I was stupid, what does he mean by that? Right? What he means by that, based on that middle paragraph, in Devorah, that's exactly the paragraph in which he's talking about Greg's church and, and theology, what Greg's church and theology have to do with it. Look at, you see where his mind is going? I understand machinery and machinery understands me, but didn't claim to know anything about people, Right. Okay, now he says, it's obvious what I missed. What did he miss? What did he think he missed? And then that's Devorah. What he transitions into is immediately, look, Wyo joined Greg's church, right? And I like Greg, love Greg, admire Greg, but his church doesn't make a lick of sense, right? And Wyo was an adult convert to Greg's church. And he had been interpreting that as uh, evidence proof that she would do anything for the cause. But now he's kicking himself, right? Well, duh, there's a much more obvious reason. And notice what he then goes on to, right? Wyo had recruited Greg even earlier, even before she converted to the church, she had converted Greg, recruited Greg. He converted her. She recruited him, right, to the cause and had made most of trips out to New Sight easier for her to get away than me or prof. Yeah. But in retrospect, right, that was logical at the time for that reason. But in retrospect, oh, well, was taken by surprise. Should not have been. Right. Um, I So he seems to be saying now it's just as obvious as anything could possibly be that she fell in love with Greg. Right. She fell in love with Greg. She converted to his church because she had fallen in love with him. She recruited him even earlier, right? So it wasn't like church first, love second, right? So like she, she, she fell in love with Greg. I brought her into the family. She fell in love with Greg. Uh, she recruited Greg into the cause. She converted to his church. She's been making all these excuses to go and visit him at the new, at the new Catapult site. Oh man, of course I should have seen this coming. Not only because, of course, Wyo is a person who's already had, uh, uh, you know, given the family a long chance to look her over, but because um, Greg, right? Yeah, she and Greg have had this thing, clearly, clearly. Um, Tomás says, does love play any part in loony marriages? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Um, Now, it's not the only thing, obviously. Right. Um, I mean, Greg couldn't just like propose to her or something like that. Right. Like, I mean, that's not possible. Um, Remember, it's the wives who have to vote and vote unanimously uh, to bring in a a new wife. Right. Um, So it's not it doesn't work that way. But um, and of course, you're not supposed to show favoritism within the marriage. Right. Um, Remember, uh, mom always pretends to love everyone equally. But remember Manny also saying that he's pretty sure that she loves Greg most. Right. Um, so I do think that love plays, uh, part, uh, in it. Um, now there isn't, there isn't exactly dating prior to marriage. Dating isn't exactly a thing, but, um, I, I, yeah, I, I remember there was an implication earlier on, um, there was an implication earlier on that, um, Manny believed that Wyo had slept with Stu Lejoie. As part of the recruitment process of Stu, basically. Um, it was like an elliptical f- clause where he said something like, um, you know, you know, many times in history, like women have done more for their cause than that or something like that. I think that his implication was he thought that she was sleeping with him. Um, we don't know if that's true or not, but Manny suspected that it was true. Um, and he didn't judge. He didn't seem to think any ill of it. Um but uh, but anyway, he's like, okay, now it's obvious. Greg and Wyo have been getting close, and so now for that reason, right, because she and Greg are close, and um, now Greg wants to bring her into the family, and of course, she's also been living with the family, and all the women in the family love her, so no problems, right? It's a, it's of course it's it's obvious, right? Was taken by surprise, should not have been, but. Is Manny right? Cause I don't think Manny's right. Um I don't think Manny's right about this at all. Does anybody else agree with me? Anybody else think Manny's missing something here? What do you think Manny, What do you think Manny's missing? I think it's not Greg that Wyo is in love with. I think that Wyo is in love with Manny. Um why is she, the wedding being proposed in this way, right? I'm not saying she doesn't love Greg. Maybe she does, right? Um, but, but, yeah, uh, this whole thing is being arranged like this so that Manny and Wyo can consummate the marriage before he leaves, right? Um, yes, he uh, is being stupid, No, he should not have been taken by surprise, but not for the reason he thinks. Um, He's now blaming himself for being oblivious to the fact that there was this connection between her and Greg, um, that it was escalating to the point where, you know, Greg would start thinking about bringing her into the marriage. Um, But, um, but clearly... um, You know, she loves Manny also, at least as much as she loves Greg. And it seems to me very likely that Greg is doing an act of kindness for Manny in this. Obviously in the sense of the timing. That's perfectly explicit, right? Um, But I think even Uh, to Manny and probably to Wyo as well, right? Again, not saying that Greg doesn't like uh, Wyo and that Wyo doesn't like Greg um, but I don't, I think that Manny is, after his castigating himself for how stupid he is I think he's still missing the point right? So it comes down to um, uh, it comes down to what he says, I understand machinery and machinery understands me and that's where we started this story Right. With him and Mike, but didn't claim to know anything about people. Um, And he's about that. He seems to be correct. Right. But I found this scene so interesting because of the way that it is like nestled into the. We looked last time at both Mike and Prof, um, the evidence that both Mike and Prof are planning things and enacting things not only without consulting Mike, but without even informing Mike and the way that both of them seem to be. um, Well, I think it's fair to say manipulating um, Manny. I mean, it's, that seems a little harsh to Mike and prof. um, But, um, um, but maybe not, maybe not. Um, I find myself resistant to using that word, but it, you know, kind of seems to fit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Ray, I agree. Manny and Mike both ironically have blind spots with interpersonal relationships. Yeah. yeah. remember Ray, you know, Manny was the one who was supposed to be teaching Mike about how to, you know, gauge people and relate to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that in that regard, the student has necessarily become the teacher here, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Manny's, uh, Manny's got some issues, uh, in that regard. Um, And again, this seems to me an important moment because it's not just a question of political conspiracy, right? Um, And the other thing I think, it's this not only shows us that, like, kind of helps to orient us to some of Manny's blind spots, um, which is important, I think, for what comes next, but it's also important because it has no political significance, apart from the fact that, as I think it was... um, uh, um yeah uh Ellen was saying that um he's out of not only out of touch with his family and his work for the revolution, but increasingly out of touch within the circle of the revolution as well. Yeah, Wyo has not only been living in his family, but she's also in the executive council. So he's been spending not only, you know, the limited amount of time he's able to be home, as he says, but he's been spending but like when he's not there, he's with Wyo, right? So um you'd think, right, he would have the chance to pick up on that. But no. Um but um and James I agree. When he was judge he seemed to understand people. He's not a clueless guy, and again, that's what's so interesting is throughout part one, he is our guide, like he is Mike's guide, right? We are parallel to Mike, as I said earlier on, and Manny is this avuncular figure to all of us. He's showing us the ropes, and we have every reason to think that Mike, that Manny, sorry, um, that Manny is not only competent but uh, he's a safe model. Right. He knows. This is the guy who knows what's up and from whom we can learn what's up. Um, And I'm not saying that I think that's being completely undermined, but we are beginning to see things we're beginning to see beyond. We're beginning to get to know him well enough to see some of his limitations. And I think that the concept of his limitations and where his blind spots are is exact. Is this this scene, I think, is one of the things that's going to set us up to properly understand and contextualize um what he where he is um when we get down to uh uh, down to earth okay but there he is uh arriving um um arriving in earth oh you know david i think that's a good qualification david says when he was acting as a judge he needed to understand men and especially he needed to understand earthmen which he has more experience of than anyone else there um Manny seems systematically clueless about women. Okay. Yeah, I can accept. (laughs) I can accept that as a, as a correction. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is, uh, right after when Manny wakes up in the hospital after his, uh, uncomfortable ordeal (laughs) landing on earth, um, uh, which was more fun to read about, I suspect, than to experience, um, Uh, (laughs) I love the, uh, there's so many lines that I really loved in that passage. Like, uh, you know, helmet was full of, was, was, was full of nastiest, foulest liquid you would ever go out of your way to avoid. (laughs) I love that line. Anyway. Okay. Um, as a, as a, somebody who gets incredibly motion sick, I was feeling for him. Prof says it's the only way. What a tough old boy he is. That is, the, the, the for them to come down in the capsule instead of in a ship. Hold it. Prof said, Prof is dead. Not at all. Not in good shape. We got him in a pneumatic bed with a round-the-clock watch and more instruments wired into him than you would believe. But he's alive and will be able to do his job. But truly, he didn't mind the trip. He never knew about it, so he says. Went to sleep in one hospital, woke up in another. I thought he was wrong when he refused to let me ra- wangle it to send a ship, but he was not. The publicity has been tremendous. I said slowly, you say prof refused to let you send a ship i should say chairman selene refused didn't you see the dispatches manny no too late to fight over it but last few days have been busy prof and manny or prof and mike lied to him they lied to him well they didn't quite lie they told him that this was the only possibility, that this was the only way. They didn't tell him that Stu had offered to send a ship, or at least had offered to try to arrange to send a ship, that they had insisted that a ship not be sent and that they do it this way instead. They told Manny it was the only possible way to get to Earth because ships weren't coming, right? Um, that Manny has been... Actively, aggressively, left in the dark about this, about this thing that in th- that affected him personally, as well as being a significant, um, a significant, uh, uh, uh strategic choice, you know, tactical choice in their, uh, um, in their, uh, you know, campaign to Terra. Um, it's it's a big deal, it's a big deal, right? And but notice Stu is like, yeah, you know. I thought he was wrong, but he was right. That was brilliant. It was Everything worked according to plan, right? The publicity has been tremendous. And you'll remember that not only that, but he, um, Ellen says, at this point, I think it would be fair to use the term manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Why don't they tell him? Didn't you see the dispatches, Manny? No, gosh, somebody didn't show me the dispatches for some reason. Right. They were actively keeping Manny in the dark about Stu's suggestion that he send a ship. Remember how hard it was to convince Manny that going down in the canister was a good idea. Right. He was going to back out and was only kind of guilted into it when uh, Prof said that Wyo would have to go instead of him if he backed out. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, um, yeah. So the my question is, okay, I have have a series of questions, a series of questions that I want us to be doing some inductive reasoning uh, to gather evidence for. Question number one, why are they doing this? Why are Mike and Prof manipulating Manny in the way that they are? Why are they keeping him in the dark? but in order to answer that question i think we also have to answer the next question and i think also the first question will help us to answer this other question inductive reasoning often works that way where things are all kind of tangled in together and you've got to try to come up with answers that fit all the questions at once um what's the plan on earth exactly what are they doing what's their goal on earth Right. And that's what I want to be looking at and to be seeing how. Now, again, I'm not asking for you to tell me what is revealed later. I know what's revealed later. But the point is the the game, right, is to see what evidence we can see of it as we go along. And the reason that that's a game worth playing instead of just looking at the answer that's further in the back of the book is twofold. One, we can know whether or not we can trust that answer because let's face it. To what extent can we trust? <laughs> I mean, if Mike or Prof explains the answer later on, are we going to buy it? Right? We we need to make, if we need to make sure that it's an answer that fits with the evidence that we're seeing, right? Uh, in order for us to be able to trust it. But a second reason is that I think it's it's fun. Not only not only is it fun to figure it out oneself, um, but it's really interesting to see how Heinlein brings that about and makes makes that work, makes that, where where does he leave us as readers? Where does he leave Manny as a narrator? What is the effect of leaving his first-person narrator in the place that he leaves Manny, right? Um, These are all the kinds of questions which a mirror looking uh, forward at the answer isn't going to necessarily, you know, help us here. Um, Tomás, yeah, so uh, Tomás says, does this imply that Manny is, uh, is, uh, you know, in some sense reluctant here, um, or that he is sort of, being pushed into things. Well, Tomas, that is a trend, right? Remember, Manny was the one who was resistant at the beginning. to He didn't want anything to do with the revolution until he could be convinced that there was at least a 1 in 10 odds. And now, of course, you'll notice that he's persevering when he's being told that the odds have fallen to lower than 1 in 100, right? And he's not saying, like, well, I'm out, man. Forget it. I said 1 in 10, right? As soon as they concluded it was 1 in 10, the odds have been dropping ever since. Uh, right. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we've seen. The odds, I don't think the odds have gone upwards in a while. Right. Um, so, so that's one thing. So yes, he was reluctant at first. We saw his reluctance. Um, you could say it would be enough to explain it. Perhaps we saw what a fuss he put up when he thought there was no other option. Right. Um, had he known there was another option, how much more of a fuss would it have been? Mike and Prof knew best, right? They knew that this was the best way to go about it, and Stu has confirmed that they were right. Um, Their conclusions were exactly correct. So, they sure saved a lot of time by not having that particular fight with Manny. That would be one way to explain it, right? I think there's more to it than that, but it would be one way to explain it. Um, Okay. So, yes, Devorah, what... What Manning understands, and it is important for us to establish this at the beginning, right? They are going down to Luna as diplomats to achieve recognition of Luna as an independent state, right? And remember that conversation with Mike about the bombings, right? Mike was suggesting he was though he was also kind of stating the contrary he was saying that mike manny can count on the fact that they're going to attack um he was also suggesting that uh you know by saying that his trip in the canister was likely to be less uncomfortable than being bombed in luna right um he was suggesting that there are potential alternatives Right. That their goal is to go to prevent war, that this is the, the only hope. Right. This is the long shot. This is the this is the gambler's hope that they can avoid war with Earth is for Prof and Manny to succeed on this mission. Right. Um, yeah. And James, you're right. They didn't tell him they'd been designing the canister till it was almost complete. Yeah. They'd they'd made this decision a while back. Right. Manny has been in the dark for a long time before he gets there and now we were finding his being in the dark was even more profound um more okay two days later we left for Ag- for agra to be present to to present credentials to federated nations i was in bad shape and not just high G. could do well enough in a wheelchair and could even walk a little although did not in public what i had was a sore throat that missed pneumonia only through drugs travelers trots uh, only through drugs, travelers' trots, skin disease on hand and spreading to feet, just like my other trips to that disease-ridden whole Terra. We loonies don't know how lucky we are living in a place that has tightest of quarantines, almost no vermin, and what we have controlled by vacuum any time necessary. Or unlucky, since we have almost no immunities if turns out we need them. Still, wouldn't swap. Never heard word venereal until went earth until first went earthside, and had thought common cold was state of ice miner's feet. And wasn't cheerful for another reason. Stu had fetched us a message from Adam Selene. Buried in it, concealed even from Stu, was news that chances had dropped to worse than one in a hundred. Wondered what point in risking crazy trip if made odds worse. Did Mike really know what chances were? Couldn't see any way he could compute them, no matter how many facts he had says Manny, calling into question the initial premise that brought him into the revolution in the first place. Uh, Once again, doubting Mike, right? Not just doubting a thing that he's never seen Mike do, like with the video representation, but doubting something that he initially himself convinced Prof that Mike could do, which was compute the chances no matter how many facts uh, there might be needed. Um, But um, Yes, yes. Um, Ellen, I do agree. I also think that Mike has learned very subtle manipulation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Okay. Um, Yeah, so... um, uh, Okay. The um, disease thing is a really interesting context, right? And um, to me, the most important uh, phrase in that whole paragraph is uh, not the joke about the common cold, um, but about, but the phrase, that disease-ridden whole terra, right? This is a really important piece of contextualization, right? We are... um, the significance of Manny and Prof's weakness, right? Um, Again, we are, Manny's our frame of reference, right? Um, And so Manny's own, like their physical weakness throughout their time on Terra plays a really important part, right? And this in two different ways. First, let's start by talking about the part that it plays in the actual diplomacy and propaganda that they're doing, right? Um, uh, notice, of course, we see here they have clear PR plans, right? Um, he can walk a little bit anyway, right? It's exhausting to walk on Terra, but he can do it, Right? although did not in public. He has strict orders never to walk around in public, never to be seen getting up from his chair in public. It is important, right, Prof has given him strict orders that he must show weakness at all times on Terra. Why? Why? What's the plan? What does that tell us about their plan? What what can we conclude from the fact that they are wanting to foreground the weakness? Well, one would be to emphasize, one that occurs to me right away, is to emphasize the disparity, right? This is not, they don't want to present a strong front in these negotiations. They don't want it to look like this is a confrontation between equals, right? Because that would be something like an invitation to war. They're not equals, right? There's no sense in which Luna is equal to Terra in strength, in power, in resources, in number, in anything, right? Um Except freedom, perhaps, right? Yeah, you know, so I'm not saying there's nothing to be said for it, but again, clearly they know very well how uneven this is. And they seem to desire to emphasize this. That is, to me, it seems that part of it is, yeah, like fishing for sympathy, Devorah? Yeah, something like that? Yeah, exactly. That um, um, that when the when the lunar authority is persecuting them, it makes them just look like bullies, right? This is not a dispute between two groups or two peoples, right? This is the strong persecuting the weak. And that's distasteful, right? That's that just it. It undermines the lunar authority's position in a sense, right? I think that's part. Of, that seems to me to be part of it. Um, also, it does seem to suggest, Ellen, as you say, that they're not a threat, right? Like, put your put your put your guns away, people, right? Like, what do you have to be afraid of from Luna? Look, we we can't even stand up, right? It's I, it's the uh, the implicit, right? The implicit. Conclusion would seem to be, you know, we're a we're a we're a nation of invalids, right? You already know we're, you know, jailbirds and outcasts, right? We're like, you know, criminal elements and and you know those that some nations, great China apparently, has shipped out because they found them undesirable, right? We're we're the we're, we're the undesirables and the outcasts and the criminals of your society um, and the descendants thereof. Uh, so we're like morally decrepit. Look, we're physically decrepit, right? We can, you know, who, And this would seem to be um, this would seem to be um, the. Um, uh, This would seem to be um, the reverse of what you might think they would be doing, right? You would think that diplomats trying to establish Luna's claim to be, you know, like recognized as like a member of the Federated Nations, right? And, And to gain national status would want to make a strong... Like, see, look, we are... We, yes, we can be trusted to handle our own affairs. Yes, we should be given respect as an equal partner, right? We should be given, um, you know, the privilege of being considered autonomous, right? And so it would seem that a show of weakness would work against that, wouldn't it? It'd be like, look, we can't, we're completely incapable, right? And we can't even sit up. The prof can't sit up, right? Man, he can sit up, but he can't stand up right and he's here's he's this he looks like a strapping young lad right um yeah so but that's clearly not the that's clearly not the um not the play right the play is make them think that we're weak again, presumably because it would be get like mean to beat up on them right to 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 lower the appetite of um to make them th- to make it look like they're they're certainly not a threat, right? Um, okay, but again, the first context, one of the er- very early context for Luna, right, is this disease paragraph that disease-ridden whole Terra. Yes, they are weak, and they are showing their weakness. They're flaunting their weakness, right, uh, as they're there. But they also hit Manny's own assessment is the moral weakness, right? The physical weakness, right? The disease, it's a disease ridden hole, but it's not just a physically disease ridden hole, right? Um, he despises Terra and how they treat each other, how they're not only how they've treated Luna over the years, but how they treat each other. Right. Um, this is... Uh, I think an important kind of, uh, kind of glimpse and Jocelyn, we have not been told exactly. Um, uh, um, we have not been told exactly how, um, um, the, um, how old man he is. Um, he says when somebody guesses, he's in his early twenties, he's like 22 or 23. And he says, Thank you. I would bow if I could stand, but I've been married longer than that. Right. And that's the closest we get to a guess at his age. Um, But uh, given that loonies tend to marry in their teens, that puts him at probably 40 ish, I'm guessing. But um, probably not much more than that. Somewhere around there. But I don't think we're given a number exactly. Um, Yeah. And Stephen, you're right. Playing up weakness does happen. Uh, sometimes, historically. Stephen's recalling how between the world wars, Japan sent old, outdated ships on a world tour to make them seem weaker so they could bargain for better terms in the Washington Naval Conference. Sure. Stephen, I also can't help but remember um, uh, who were they? In the Old Testament. The story of right after the Israelites in uh, in, uh, Joshua, right after the Israelites arrived in the Promised Land, and those neighbors who were afraid they were going to get invaded showed up and pretended to have come a really long journey and, and, uh, uh, and be, and, and be really weak. Right. Um, the Gibeonites. Thank you. I knew I started with a G the Gibeonites. Yeah, that's it. I can't help but think of them too. Um, it's a ploy that is known, right. Uh, to, to do so. It's not the same ploy, but it's, uh, um, it's, uh, there, there, there are some similarities. Um, but, um, yeah. Okay. Um, Let's keep going. In in a way, was not sorry about ladder. Uh, the latter that he's referring to is the fact that the grain barges kept coming uh, to Earth from Terra from Luna. When we flew from Bombay to Agra, we got up before dawn and were taken out to field as city was waking. Every loony has his hole, whether luxury of long-established home like Davis tunnels or rock still raw from drill. Cubic is no problem, and can't be for centuries. Bombay was bee swarms of people. Our over million, was told, who have no home but some piece of pavement. A family might claim right and hold down by will, generation after generation, to sleep on a piece two meters long and one wide at a described location in front of a shop. Entire family sleeps on that space, meaning mother, father, kids, maybe a grandmother would not have believed if had not seen. At dawn in Bombay nowadays, and and, and at dawn in Bombay, roadways, side pavements, even bridges, are covered with tight carpet of human bodies. What do they do? Where do they work? How do they eat? Did not look as if they did. Could count ribs. If I hadn't believed simple arithmetic that you can't ship stuff downhill forever without shipping replacement back, would have tossed in cards. But, Tonstoffel, There ain't no such thing as a free lunch in Bombay or in Luna. Manny is hit hard by seeing the starving multitudes in Bombay. The people whom 93.1, as we will learn, percent of the grain being shipped down to Terra from Luna is feeding, right? Um, He has compassion, on the people of India and sees that they're starving. Um, Unfortunately, he's seen this simple arithmetic, right? That if they continue to ship stuff downhill without shipping replacements back, everyone in Luna is going to be like this, right? Um, But he'd have tossed in his cards if he hadn't seen that, if he hadn't known that, right? He seems quite deeply moved by his compassion for the people here. But Stoffel, neither in Bombay nor in Luna is there any such thing as a free lunch? Um, the people of Luna are have been basically operating on the counter Stoffel principle, right um, that is, it, them shipping grain away. That's kind of like an inverse free lunch, right? Uh, you can't give away lunches for free without paying for it in the end is kind of what, uh, uh, how it works, I guess. But like, that's again, like you, you, you have to pay for it in the end, right? And if they're going to continue shipping grain and shipping grain to earth, they're going to pay for it. Right. And we have heard about the, uh, famine that will come within seven years if, uh, if they keep doing that. Um, but his reaction to the conditions i think tells us some really important things about him he might be oblivious right he might not uh, he might say that he doesn't know anything about people and we might have good reason to believe him on that um and yet he clearly cares about people um and i think that that's despite how much he hates terra right no matter everything he says about earthworms Um, and how much he despises the planet and the culture and everything else when he's looking around at um, you know the thousands of starving you know the millions starving people in Bombay he's shocked and appalled and saddened by this right um yeah Uh, prof fielded that and tossed it back. Honorable Chairman, I myself was a consignee, and now Luna is my beloved home. My colleague, the Honorable Undersecretary for Foreign Affairs, Colonel O'Kelly Davis, myself, is Luna born and proud of his descent from four transported grandparents. Luna has grown strong on your outcasts. Give us your poor, your wretched. We welcome them. Luna has room for them, nearly 40 million square kilometers, an area greater than all Africa, and almost totally empty. More than that, since by our method of living we occupy not area, but cubic, the mind cannot imagine the day when Luna would refuse another shipload of weary homeless. Chairman said, The witness is admonished to refrain from making speeches. The chair takes it that your oratory means that the group you represent agrees to accept prisoners as before— no, sir. What? Explain yourself. Um, that is the, uh, the, what you know, th- that was the question, of course, that Prof was responding to. Would they uh, continue to accept prisoners? Prof first makes this speech, right, about how abundant space is, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, give us your poor, your wretched. Um, he, uh, he begins to, um, uh, he begins to quote The inscription on the Statue of Liberty right Um, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free Um, except of course they they wouldn't be breathing free on Luna right but they might be able to breathe affordably anyway um, and that would still be something Um, but he says no no um, we don't agree to accept prisoners as before why not because as soon as they come to Luna, they will be free, he says, right? We will not accept them and keep them prisoners. Anyone who comes to Luna is immediately made free, um, which makes them uncomfortable, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, I ask, what's Prof doing here? What does Prof seem to be going for? What's he positioning? Now, remember, there are two levels of thing going on here. First is the actual debate with the Lunar Authority, whom they are meeting with. Right. And I love the conversation with the reporter after this, when Prof was like, were those people the Lunar Authority? Gosh, I had no idea of that. Um, I love that. Um, But... um, Yeah. So, um, anyway, one is the actual argument that he's making. With what is he attempting to accomplish with the lunar authority in these discussions? This is the first question. That's one level here, right? So let's focus on that first. Um, What does this? uh, What does this suggest? Well, one thing that it clearly suggests to me is that he is again and again adopting the moral high ground over them, right. They are at the bottom not only of the gravity well but of the moral gravity well as well, right? They've got the high ground all over the place. Um, yes, you can send us prisoners, but we will call them we will call them free and embrace them as brothers, right? Um, the speeches that he forces them to make. Are pretty horrible, right? Like the things the dude, the guy from Colorado says, right? The north, the North American guy, um, who says like, you know, back in Colorado, we know how to deal with folks like this, right? Um, uh, you know, that's uh, that seems to be what he's doing. In large, part. is he trying to convince them? Is he trying to inspire them? Is he trying to make them see that, like, gosh? Those loonies are really good people, right? Um, Their ideals are are really noble and admirable. I think we should recognize them and and commend them for their work. No, he knows there's no hope. They're going to do that. They're going to say that, right? Um, But, yeah, yeah. David, I do agree he's laying down a marker. Luna determines the relationship with loonies. Yes, yes. He is emphasizing—one of the things I agree that he is doing and is doing here throughout is we are not going to play your game. We are only going to talk on the premise that you—you must first accept the premise— that we are an independent country. This, of course, comes up even more forcibly the next day when they say, here's the most important thing. We'll, We'll consider recognizing you, but first, are you willing to keep your commitments, right? And remember, Prof's answer to that is, what commitments? We've never made any commitments, right? If you want grain from Luna, you must first negotiate that, right? Any agreements are yet to be entered into. Um, You're referring to an agreement you made with yourselves, um, uh, you know, and to which we were enslaved, right? Um, And so that's like this, right? Are you willing to accept prisoners as before? No. Uh, Newsflash. Things are not as before anymore. We are no longer your prison colony, we are now an independent country. And if people, if you send immigrants or, you know, immigrants from you to, uh, forcible immigrants uh, from the earth to Luna, we are going to treat them as free immigrants and not as prisoners. Because you're not the boss of us to make us uh, treat them as prisoners anymore. Um, uh, yeah, but. Um, but remember the second layer. Right, One layer is the arguments that he's trying to make and the, 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 the things he's trying to establish with the Lunar Authority that he's speaking with. But you remember the second layer? The second layer is premised upon the fact that Manny is recording this from inside his prosthetic arm. Right? Um, they are fully planning on both days. Right? And even after... Uh, the authority sees the press clippings and knows that what has been said was released, Um, they yell at them and try to prevent them from doing that again, and they frisk Manny, but don't get his his prosthetic recorder, right? Um, And, but of course, remember, Prof manipulates things into never agreeing that he's going to keep the procedures closed. Their whole strategy seems to be to record this and release it, right? They want... Everybody to hear what the authority says, so that's of course another reason for the high ground, right? Here's us saying these noble things, right, about how they embrace, they consider you know everyone free, and that all these enforcing, uh, well, not forcing, but inviting, goading even uh, the um, the members of the authority. To say things like, we know how to deal with people like this back in Colorado, right? But you remember the crux of their argument, right? Where they, um, where they rest when they're after the long um, hiatus in which the authority is discussing among itself. Here's what we hear. They didn't wheel us back in until 1600. Committee was already sitting. Chairman then broke own rule against speeches and made a long one more in sorrow than anger. Started by reminding us that Luna Authority was a non-political trusteeship charged with solemn duty of ensuring that Earth's satellite, the moon, Luna as some call it, was never used for military purposes. He told us that authority had guarded this sacred trust more than a century, while governments fell and new governments rose, alliances shifted and shifted again. Indeed, authority was older than federated nations, deriving original charter from an older international body, and so well had it kept that trust that it had lasted through wars and turmoils and realignments. Here, of course, is the reappearance of that word that I said we need to look out for right um, you'll remember when that Yammerhead said we shouldn't use the word unalienable in the Declaration of Independence not only because unalienable is not a, a word it should be inalienable but also because wouldn't it give it more you know solemnity to say you know our sacred rights instead of our unalienable rights I mean we talked about the effect of that phrase um, but here is where it really pays off, right? It's on Terra that this word sacred comes back and is wielded against them like a club, right? The authority cannot possibly abdicate its sacred trust. It has been given a sacred trust. Uh, and they to ask them to turn away from their sacred trust is appalling. Right, it's not to be considered. It could not be considered, because it is a sacred trust. It is a word that they are hiding behind there. As we said, but uh, when we were talking about the difference between unalienable and sacred, it points to a higher authority. Vaguely, right? It's sort of a vaguely God-ish word, right? Um, but there's no actual reference to God, but the implied reference is to God, right? Um. But even other than that, they clearly have high political authority, right? the uh, The lunar authorities, um, the lunar authorities. Uh, charter comes from where? Who chartered them? Not named, but clearly implied. The UN. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, an older international body which is no longer there before the Federated Nations. Um, and, um, uh, okay. What else? What else do we see from that? Well, first of all, I can't help but remember, Arthur, as you've reminded us of a couple times, when this book was written, right? What was it, Arthur? 67? Published in 67? Wasn't that it? Um, remember, uh... The lunar climate in 1967, right? Or 65, was it? Yeah, yeah. This was in the middle of the, I mean, the push to land on the moon, right? Um, the whole focus on landing on the moon was in the midst of going on here, right? So we're ima- he's imagining forward and not too far forward, right? Still during the time of the UN, not in the... Uh, You know, later period that he's imagining way distantly uh, in the far, far future um, of the uh, of the 21st century, um, uh, you know, project. What is the moon going to mean? Right. Um, Landing a man on the moon is not is not just a, um, a symbolic accomplishment. It's not merely an abstract giant leap for mankind. Right. Um, it is the first step in an important, potentially political and military, uh, process. One might have thought that perhaps, you know, perhaps in the sixties, one might have thought that the U S and Russia were, uh, you know, racing to get to the moon, um, perhaps for not entirely peaceful reasons, right? Maybe there's a reason Um, there might have been, there might become some international charter uh, that says um, that the moon shall never be used for military purposes, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, David says, uh, Heinlein managed to anticipate the Outer Space Treaty governing use of weapons in space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think he's seeing all that, the potential of that pretty clearly, right? And here's the thing. This is the inter- most interesting interesting thing to me about this paragraph. There has been no sense. I don't think there's been a single moment in um, the whole book to this point, where we have really been invited to have respect for the Lunar Authority, right? Or to see the Lunar Authority as anything but an oppressive regime, right? Possibly and indirectly with the starving people of Bombay, right? Manny's seeing the suffering in India and how much they need food. To some extent, that, but even that's only just kind of mitigating, perhaps, right? But, but here's the thing. Yeah, of course, they've been enslaving the loonies and, and, and yeah, all that stuff. But this is important. This has worked, right? The Lunar Authority has, in fact, performed an important political function. On Terra, right? It has survived. It f- survived the downfall of the UN. Um, we have seen enough to conclude um, wars that have happened in Terra since. Right? What is the what? What of the last you know hundred and ten years between when this book was written and when this book was? Um, yeah, uh, Arthur says it was definitely sixty six um, when this book was written and when this book was. Um, uh, uh, you know, is is taking place. Um, the story is taking place in the in those hundred and ten years. There presumably been many wars in Terra, right? Empire building wars. Notice how everything's great now, just like there was Great Britain in the past. Now there's Great China, and there's Great New York, um, and even the cities have uh, have become like empires. Remember that when he visits Salem, he talks about Salem being a part of Boston, right? Um, like, you know, he'd, uh, he'd never seen that part of Boston before. Um, and Salem. So this is my part of the world, right? Salem is not that close to Boston, <laughs> right? So clearly, um, uh, the entire, the city has swelled enormously, right? Um, so like all of Eastern Massachusetts is now Boston, right? Um, so we know um, that there have been other wars and things have happened. And yet, the moon, nobody has ever, even though they've had, um, you know, they've had spaceships and they've had nukes, no one has used the moon. You know, no country has dominated the moon. Um, uh, No one has annexed the moon as a military power. So the Lunar Authority has actually accomplished something, it seems, right? I mean, that's it's the... Almost like the fairness to that, right? Like you know, Manny transmits this part of the speech, right? Um, not because he's won over, right, to respecting the lunar authority, but out of a kind of fairness, which seems to tell us something interesting about Manny, I think, right? Um, uh, but um, but one has to, I I find anyway that when we um, uh, when we look at um, uh, this passage, when we look at the Lunar Authority, this maybe changes our perspective a little bit, but then again, that that central, that pivotal phrase in this whole paragraph is sacred trust. Authority had guarded this sacred trust more than a century. Um, And Manny is telling us all this primarily because it's all build up for their excuse for why they're not going to uh, recognized, you know, this is their justification, right? They're hiding behind this sacred trust because that gives them the right um, to enslave the loonies, right? That's certainly how Manny sees it, and that's how we're invited to see it. But we do get this one little kind of glimpse, right? Um, uh, uh, this one little glimpse into um, the uh, the um The history of the Lunar Authority, uh, the ground of the Lunar Authority, and it's not a completely horrible ground, though we can also see the weakness in it. Stephen, as you said, Stephen Keane says, um, you know, the trust was to prevent military use, not to force Luna to feed Terra. Yes, that's a different thing, right? That's an add-on uh, from later on. Yes. Um and, Stephen, you are totally right. Um, I would say the process that he seems to be um, – St- Stephen is saying, when I uh, uh, I visited Massachusetts, um, I totally lumped Salem in with Boston. Yeah, no, I hear that. Um the process that he's describing is well underway, right? Uh, you know, you think about the difference between Salem and Boston as it would have been, you know, a hundred years ago and 200 years ago. And yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, um, it's, it's happening. It's already happening. Um, definitely. Okay. Order, order. The witness will come to order. It is not I who was not in order, honorable chairman. Rape it was, and murder most foul, but that is history, and now we must look to the future. Whom are you going to exile? Prof struggled to raise self on elbow, and I was suddenly alert. was a cue. For all you know, sir, that it is—for you all know, sir, that it is a one-way trip. I was born here. You can see what effort it is for me to return even temporarily to the planet which has disinherited me. We are outcasts of Earth who— He collapsed. Was up out of my chair, and collapsed myself, trying to reach him. Was not all play-acting, even though I answered a cue. Is terrible strain on heart to get up suddenly on Terra. Thickfield grabbed and smashed me to the floor. So once again, two things, right? There's a plan. What can we learn about their strategy and their ends by the plan that they obviously have? And then, what do we see about his words? Now let's do it in the other, other other order. What do we see in his words first? Um, he is deliberately riling them again. It was not I who was not in order, in order, honorable chairman, right? Um, his accusations of rape and murder, um, uh, which are not wrong, actually, right? Um, he's not just manipulating that one. That one is true. Whom are you going to exile? Okay, so uh, what's his... Um, what's okay, Hang on a second. Let's talk about that for just a... Well, no, we'll, Timothy, we'll come back to that in a second. And Tomas, you were asking the same question earlier. I'll come back to that in, in a second. But um, let's, let's finish this first. He is, once again, challenging them. to Like, they have to either, what? Like, defend, justify the rape and murder, right? Or, you know, be caught trying to sweep it under the carpet, right? Um, but then the exile shift, right? Whom are you going to exile? You all know, sir, that it is a one-way trip. Is the message here? And again, his message not just to the, uh, to the authority, but to the newspapers, right, to the public, who might hear the recording. Um, don't come to Luna, right? Because it's a one-way trip. Don't invade. Consider the cost of invasion. If you invade Luna, you might never be able to return. Um, yeah, yeah. And Stephen, you're right. He first sh- points out the consequences, right? Look at what the moon does to you. Look at what it has done to me. Which, again, seems a, a slightly... I mean, a pragmatic thing to point out, right? You don't want this happen to, to happen to you, do you? So don't come to Luna. In other words, leave us alone, right? Recognize our sovereignty and leave us alone. Don't come here. Um, certainly don't invade. Because, like, if you had to besiege the moon, right, um, then you're never going to come home, right? Then you're going to have to stay there after you do. Um... One of the target audiences of this speech is almost certainly the military, right? The soldiers. Um, and in, indeed, we learn that there's a riot, right, among the uh, peace dragoons. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, we are outcasts of Earth, but notice where the whole direction of his rhetoric right? The planet which has disinherited me, outcasts of Earth and then his collapse, right? It's like he is characterizing the planet itself. The planet itself is oppressive, right? I mean, just being here is a persecution to the loonies. Everything about Terra not just the lunar authority, is—I mean, Earth is just a bully, full stop, right? Of course, if you even think about it astronomically, the Earth has enslaved the Moon. It's its satellite, right? It is forcing, by its superior gravitation, forcing the Moon to revolve around it, right? I mean— that's the situation, and that maps out on the political level, and it even maps out on the biophysical level here, right? He, he, uh, this is, this is the story, right? This is the story that he is trying to, like, this is the relationship between Earth and Terra. This is how things work. This is how you are. This is how you act. Um... Which doesn't seem totally best calculated to say, therefore, you know, leave us alone, therefore um, respect us, therefore break away from this oppressive tradition and do better. Um, I mean, maybe it could have that effect, um, but I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to uh, um, the best way to handle it, right? Um, but the act seems to be to emphasize that, right? I mean, notice even Manny's language as he's describing it. Thick field grabbed and smashed me to the floor. He describes, and I agree, Stephen, it's really interesting. Um, uh, no, sorry, David, that was you. Uh, it is really interesting that he uses the word thick instead of strong or heavy or something like that. Um uh, yes, the field, the gravitational field of Earth is thick. Um, Davis, says it implies, moving around on Earth is like trying to move through water or jello or something like that. Um, yeah, the field of the Earth, the thick field grabs him and smashes him to the floor, right? There's Terra again beating up on the loonies, right? There's the Earth itself oppressing them, just as the diseases of Earth, right? You know, again, you can't even as a loony come to Earth without being under continuous assault. uh, Right? First by the gravity and then by the diseases. This is just the way Earth is. And that seems to be the act. Right? That he's... He knows this was all scripted to end with Prof's collapse. Prof is always going to collapse. Whether he's really collapsing or faking it, Um, that was supposed to be the end. And there was a cue... And Manny understood what he was supposed to do, which is to try pitifully to help him and fail, right? And collapse to the floor. Um, and indeed, the newspaper headlines, you know, catch the fact uh, that the, uh, the hearing ended in the collapse of the uh, lunar diplomats, right? So they succeeded in getting across what they wanted to get across. Uh, it's just, what exactly... Uh, That is, again. But David, you're right. I do agree that it's calibrated to make it more difficult to raise an army. Um, A government might summon the will to send its soldiers, but it'll be a lot harder to get volunteers. Yes, yes, it sure will. Um, It could build, this speech could well be calculated to build resistance. And it's ironic that he is, um, notice how he is appending that to the rape and murder thing. You know, those crimes that the soldiers committed, the last set of soldiers that they sent to Luna, right? Started raping and murdering women. Um, And then he delivers a speech, which does seem calculated, to act on the soldiery of Earth, uh, right? To make them um, reluctant to come back, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, it is really... um, really interesting to work it out, Sarah. Um, uh, Sarah's pointing out that even a 133-pound man on the moon would feel the weight of 800 pounds, right? I mean, that kind of, yes, exactly. Now, he wouldn't be 133 pounds, right? Um, it would work the other way around. If you were 133 pounds on Earth and you went up to the moon, you would, but again, but that that's the ratio, right? That's what it would feel if um, if 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 normal to them feels like what it would be to be a 130-pound person here, Right then the earth feels like what it would feel like to be an 800 pound person. Right. I mean, it is it is uh, um, it is a really interesting thing to imagine. Um, And uh, and again, I think that Heinlein does a really interesting job of thinking that through. OK. How do the newspapers handle it? On other hand, biggest New York paper opined that authority had made mistake in treating with us at all, since only thing convicts understood was taste of lash. Troops should land, set us in order, hang guilty, leave forces to keep order. Was a quick mutiny, quickly subdued in Peace Dragoon's regiment from which our late oppressors had come? One started by rumor that they were to be shipped to Moon. Mutiny not hushed up perfectly. Stu hired good men. Um, exact, so we see the message is working, right? Um... The uh, biggest New York paper, right, which I think is still the Times, uh, the New York Times, I think is still uh, meant to be uh, the biggest New York paper, um, uh, even still in 2076. Um, Biggest New York paper opined that authority had made mistake, right? Only thing convicts understood was taste of lash, right? That's how the mainstream papers are responding. So that whole, let's take the high ground to guilt you into you know, to make you feel self-conscious and, uh, aware of, um, you know, how you're, um, um, how you're acting might not uh, perhaps be working here, right? If that's what the mainstream papers are saying. And David, I can't rule out the fact that that's possibly the post that he's referring to here. Right. I can't, uh, uh, I don't know if he's imagining like a degradation of the New York times. Not that the New York times would necessarily be above this, but it's not their tone, right? Not now. Anyway. Um, I agree. It's more like the tone of the modern New York post, but uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's, uh, uh what he's, um, implying there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Arthur, yes, you are right to recall, um, that in the 1960s, of course, remember that there were examples of either actual or called for, uh, armed suppression of student activism as well. Um, not only the Kent state situation, but yeah, Arthur is recalling, a. Uh, um, advocation by Reagan, who was the governor of California, uh, for, uh, arm suppression. So, yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is an issue. Right. This is uh, this is kind of around. Um, There's a lot of people who would be relating to a bunch of these things here. But I'm sorry, Timothy and Tomas, I forgot to talk about your other question. The other objection or a problem was both of them said very similarly that it it seems to strange to strain rather um, suspension of disbelief. To say that the moon's primary function with relationship to Earth is as a food source how are we to believe that all this grain is being grown in Luna? And I think that that's a really interesting point, because you're right, like, I mean, like, you look at the moon, right? And one doesn't look at the moon, or imagine pictures of the moon, and thinking like, and then his pictures of the surface of the moon, and being like, ah, the fertile fields of the moon, right? Um, But I, this is another thing, this seems to be another thing, that um, that Manny, and through Manny Heinlein, are kind of, like well, that Heinlein is kind of manipulating by the extent to which Manny takes it for granted. He never explains. He never he never explains how do you, how on earth can you grow grain on the, on the moon? It's a fact of life. We do get a couple references which provide enough information to explain it. The answer is um, hydroponics hydroponics is how they do it. Um, uh, yeah, David, there were some references to Looney agriculture, um, and it's done by hydroponics. Um, Stu learned some hydroponics when he's up there. It's one of the places where it gets alluded to. Um, they grow it underground. They grow it in their underground warrens. Um, the farms, like the Davis family farm, um, is underground. Everything is underground in Looney, So it's not about, you know, Sowing and reaping on the surface of the moon. It's about growing in hydroponic plants underground. Um, and uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, and that way, of course, you can do because there's more space, right? They're, 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 I mean, look at Bombay. They're running out of space. They don't have room to plant grain, right? That takes a lot of land space on Earth, right? Um, now, the question that I don't know the answer to. So I can understand how they grow grain on Earth. What I can't understand is if they can do that in the Earth, why don't they or in the moon? Why don't they do that on the Earth? Right. Why don't they have big high rise or underground hydroponics plants on Earth? That's what I don't I don't that I don't know the answer to. Um You'd think if this hydroponics thing were working so well in the moon, is it, what is it about lunar? Is there something that I miss? Because maybe I just don't understand it. Um, that about the lunar conditions that makes this easier to do. Is it the low gravity that it's easier to grow grain hydroponically because of the low gravitation? Um, on, you know, in Luna than it is on Terra that's one thing that sort of suggested. I mean, it's the primary difference, right? The biggest single difference between, um, uh, Luna and Terra is that, um, uh, yes, you've got, as Devorah and David are both suggesting, um, the exploitation of slave labor, right? Um, that's, that's one big reason to do it on Luna instead of on Terra, because you might have to pay or at least feed people, um, you know, uh, in, uh, um, on, on Terra, um, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I that that's so that that's the element of the question, Timothy and Tomas, that I don't myself fully understand. Um, but um, uh, but I think that it's. I'm willing to accept that they can do it. Right. That doesn't feel to me a strain. I just don't understand why it's like a uniquely lun lunar, like why prof instead of saying ship lots of stuff up to uh, raw materials up to us and we'll turn it into grain why instead of that he's not saying um do you want us to teach you some lessons grow it yourself you lazy slums <laughs> right like nobody seems to think of that right despite the fact that india seems tolerably tolerably well motivated uh to do that um but uh yeah yeah um Possibly. David says it could be issues with clean water supply. Possibly. Though, again, you'd think that the the water um, purification techniques that they obviously have on Luna would be uh, um, transportable to Earth as well. But anyway, um, but I agree, Timothy, it does seem to fit thematically since Luna is morally superior to Earth. I guess feeding it, uh, it is feeding it morally, too. Yeah, I mean, the it certainly does thematically fit into the idea of luna being this it's it's rough it's not beautiful right um in in several dimensions it's not beautiful it's not visually beautiful um it's not you know it's not um there are a lot of ways in which it does not seem like a paradise right and yet there are many ways in which it does and this is one of them right the 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 the, the fruitfulness of luna is i do think important um um Important thematically, um, but uh, anyway, okay, so that's my answer. Anyway, speaking of grain, Honorable Chairman, gentlemen members, there is indeed a way for Luna to expand by tenfold or even a hundred or even a hundred her shipments to our hungry millions. The fact that grain barges continue to arrive on schedule during our time of trouble and are still arriving today is proof that our intentions are friendly. But you do not get milk by beating the cow. Discussions of how to augment our shipments must be based on the facts of nature, not on the false assumption that we are slaves bound by a work quota we never made. So which shall it be? Will you persist in believing that we are slaves, indentured to an authority other than ourselves? Or will you acknowledge that we are free, negotiate with us, and learn how we can help you? Chairman said, in other words, you ask us to buy a pig and a poke. You demand that we legalize your outlaw status. Then you talk about fantastic claims that you can increase grain shipments ten or a hundredfold. What you claim is impossible. I am expert in lunar economics. And what you ask is impossible. It takes the Grand Assembly to admit a new nation. Then place it before the Grand Assembly. Once seated as sovereign equals, we will discuss how to increase shipments and negotiate terms. "'Honorable Chairman, we grow the grain. We own it. We can grow far more, but not as slaves. Luna's sovereign freedom must first be recognized.' "'Impossible, and you know it. The Lunar Authority cannot abdicate its sacred responsibility.' Prophesied. "'It appears to be an impasse. I can only suggest that these hearings be recessed while we all take thought. Today our barges are arriving. But the moment that I am forced to notify my government that I have failed—' They will stop. Okay. Um, oh yeah, Stephen. So um, the fact that grain barges continue to arrive on schedule is proof that their intentions are. Fr- they have. There's. There's. From, from the day they overthrew the authority on Luna, they. There's no reason for them to continue sending grain. They're not getting paid for it. Right. This is there. They have. But they're he's pointing out we haven't missed a grain shipment. We've done that voluntarily. We didn't have to do it, but we did it because we know that there are hungry people down on Terra who are counting on this grain. So because our intentions are friendly to you, we continue to ship the grain. We didn't have to do it, but we're doing it as a sign of goodwill. If you reciprocate with a sign of goodwill on your part. Recognize that we are a sovereign nation who is obviously capable of making you know uh, wise and generous foreign policy decisions like continuing the grain barges, even though we're not getting paid for them and giving them away for free to a foreign to what is now a foreign power um, and indeed though not saying this explicitly, a hostile power right we are still meeting your requirements um, you enslaved us and forced us to make bricks, right, uh, for the pyramids, we overthrew our oppressors and continued to make their bricks, right? Doesn't that show some goodwill on our part, right? And why did we do it? Because we knew that you needed the grain, right? We were being friendly because we're not playing politics with hunger, uh, to use their phrase, right? Um, now, David, you're absolutely right. That prof is lying about that, Um they continued the shipments to buy time and prevent war before they were ready they were trying to make it as long as possible until to protract as long as possible the time before luna reali or terra realized that the revolution had happened right it was secrecy that led uh, them to do that but but this argument plays really well right um uh yeah no 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 we weren't trying to hide anything we were just being Generous. Um, We were just being generous. And you're right, Stephen. It doesn't actually amount to proof. But remember, they know just as well the point that Prof is going to—they know as well as Prof the point that he is going to make later, right? Um, It's not about logic with these people. Um, And he's not trying to logic them. He's trying to um, win an argument. What argument is he trying to win? Not with them. Not with them. Um, how are you going to argue with the Lunar Authority cannot abdicate its sacred responsibility? That's why they keep taking refuge in that. Because there's no arguing with that. What can you say? Right? Um, you know, uh, it takes the Grand Assembly to admit a new nation. Well, you can argue with that, right? Then place it before the Grand Assembly. um but you can't argue with cannot the lunar authority cannot abdicate its sacred responsibility he's not trying to win this argument he's speaking to the people out there right Um, and of course he's speaking in particular to um, the people of India right and to the government of great China which seems to control India at this point um India, um, India, and Australia and New Zealand are all a part of Great China at this point, right? And 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 a bunch of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, as well. It seems, right? Um, all belong to Great China now. Um, yeah, he's speaking to them, and that's going to pay off, right? This speech pays off; they get an interview. With a guy who's going to be the prime minister of Great China one day, right? Um, who's on this council? He's listening, right? He's listening uh, as they as they talk about this. Um, so okay, so that's that's the plan then. Lay out this positive future. If you work with us, if you acknowledge our sovereignty, then we can discuss how to in- how to expand the grain shipments by tenfold or a hundredfold. Look at the great good that can come of this. So, totally, let's avoid war and let's um, work together towards this positive vision of the future. Right? And he's forced the lunar authority to say again and again, it's impossible. It's impossible. Right? So that if anybody's playing politics with hunger, it would seem to be them. Right, they're the ones who are standing in the way uh, of this bright and possible future. Um, So once again, he's manipulating the prof is manipulating the authority into taking this at the least very unpopular position. Um, And yes, uh, playing to the people very much. Bread riots are the surest way to bring down a government. David, you're right. You're right. but then we get this. Remember that Prof had a, uh, an ex- a quick exchange, a low-voiced exchange in Spanish um, with the uh, guy from Argentina. Once underway, I said, Prof, what was it you said to Señor Jelly Belly that raised blood pressure? He chuckled. Comrade Stewart's investigations of these gentlemen turned up remarkable facts. I asked who owned a certain brothel off Cala Florida in B.A. these days uh buenos aires i believe and did it now have a star redhead why you used to patronize it tried to imagine prof in such never it has been 40 years since i was last in buenos aires he owns that establishment manuel through a dummy and his wife a beauty with titian hair once worked in it was sorry had asked wasn't that a foul blow and undiplomatic but prof closed eyes and did not answer Again, several levels here, right? What does this show us about what Prof is doing with the Lunar Authority? And what does this show us about what Prof is doing with Manny, right? Um, So first, with the Lunar Authority, right? Is he trying to prevent war? Is he trying to make peace? Is he trying to you know, win them over so that they see the error of their ways and become pro-lunar freedom and, and Manny, for whom diplomacy is not second nature, is like, um, call me crazy, but isn't this a bad way to go about what we're trying to do, right? Why should you go out of your way to say something deliberately and personally inflammatory to one of the members of the committee? Why would you do that? Well, you would do that if your goal is not to make peace, is not to bring them around to make them friendly, but to poke them, to make them say more and more outrageous things. It plays into the strategy that we were seeing before, right? It's not about what gets accomplished in this discussion. It's not about hoping they're actually going to win and succeed in bringing the Lunar Authority around. They're playing up for the recorder in Manny's prosthetic arm, right? The whole thing is being recorded, and if he can coax, if Prof can coax Senor Jelly Belly as uh, as, as Manny calls him uh, into uh, saying something really rash right, then they win, I guess they get what they're looking for um, yeah, yeah um, <laughs> Ellen is wondering if uh, Prof is trying to cause a revolution on Terra too. Now that's an interesting question, right? Uh, prof we know, um, believes in revolution, like art for art's sake, right? Um, he would quite like to see revolutions begin in all of these countries, right? Because that's what he likes, right? So, uh, yes, I suspect he would quite like to see a revolution happen in Argentina. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so Stephen, I agree, that does seem to be a pattern. Um, Stephen is suggesting, Stephen Covers is suggesting that he's driving a wedge between those in power and the masses. Um, uh, to those in power, he wants to stir them up and antagonize them. To the masses, he wants Luna to seem sympathetic. Yes, yes. Um, and it certainly would distract them from Luna, wouldn't it? If there was a, if there was a revolution on Terra? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yes, yes. Um, And yet, yeah, but, but Stephen, I agree. Manny's still trying to play by the rules of the game, right? He thinks he knows the game. They're supposed to make nice. This is their one shot to, at the least, provide the most advantageous possible position for themselves, right? Like, even if they can't you know he's not expecting. I don't think Manny is expecting the Lunar Authority to come around, right? I don't think he's expecting the Federated Nations to rise up and say we love Luna, right? And we accept it, and we're going to curb, uh, you know, the um, the Lunar Authority. I don't think he expects any of those things. But does he think it's possible for them to gain some support, such that at least Terra would be divided in its opposition to Luna, and that perhaps maybe the revolution could happen down here today. Maybe something like that would happen. They'd be fighting amongst themselves. That's a good strategy, right? That at least seems like it would work. But it is not obvious that uh, um, Prof is really working towards that. Um, Yeah, David says, I wonder if the optimal outcome as far as Manny is concerned is war with India alone and not the rest of the federated nations. Possibly, but of course you'll remember it's with Great China, that they have their first and greatest political opportunity, right? Um, Yeah, well, okay, we'll come back to this next time. Well, I'm running out of time. Um, So I will attempt. uh, We'll see how far we can get next time. Um, Thanks, everybody. I'm going to let you guys go because it's getting late. Um, But we will continue to see... Prof's plans unfolding. And again, watch what's happening with Manny and with how much Manny knows and with, uh, with all this stuff, right. As we will continue to push forward, uh, next time. Thanks everybody. Um, I said, let's read through the end of part two. We're definitely not getting past that next time. So we'll we'll, we'll stick with that. Um, uh, we will see how far we can, uh, continue to get in part two next time. Thanks everybody. Good night now.